Yeah, just so you're, uh, if you're wondering at all, the rules did change with singing. And uh, although their wording is so strong that we shouldn't, but it is not illegal for us to do that. But this Sunday was too soon for us to really work that out and figure out what we're doing. Likely what we'll do, and I need to talk to my elders over this a little bit first, is we will probably do what we were doing with two songs and then a special number so that we at least get a little bit. And from what I understand, as long as we're all wearing masks, as we are supposed to, and by the way, I'm supposed to come up here with a mask on and go down with the mask on. That's right in the rules. And as I said, when I was doing renovations in my basement, I didn't agree with some of the rules, but I followed them. And uh, I am glad you're here and doing your best to wear a mask when you're here in the church. And uh, they're, they're, uh, that's, that's where it's at right now in order for us to keep being able to meet together. So when, when I was a child, uh, one of the things I would do on Christmas Eve is uh, after my parents carried all the presents out, I would wake up sometime in the night, right from the time I was probably four years old, and I would go sleep under the tree. I'd take my pillow and I'd lay under the tree. Well, there was lots of presents, so there was five kids. It was usually at least one present for each kid. And I would lay under the tree and, and I would be looking at the tree. the tree. I'd plug the tree in so that I could see the lights and I could see the presents. And I can tell you as a little child, I had hope. <laughs> oh man, did I have hope in the presents. And I will say that sometimes when I opened the presents, I was a little disappointed sometimes. I, I didn't get that, uh, that Jeep that I hoped to get. I remember the one year, but the next year I got it. It was really exciting. Or the bike that I thought I should have or the sled that mom and dad should buy. But my parents um, with five kids, they did the best they could. But I was sometimes disappointed. But I want to tell you that when Jesus Christ came here on the earth, when the scriptures declared that there was going to be hope. God didn't leave us with this dead savior who was put in a grave and said, well, someday he's gonna resurrect. He actually was seen by 500 people. And then he ascended into heaven. And as we go through our text today, I want you to keep that in mind all the way through so that we can see that there is hope. I want to read a quote and then I'm going to pray. And this quote is actually from, um, oh, my thing jumped to the top like it's supposed to, not supposed to. Where did the quote go? Well, isn't that weird? Oh, there it is. This quote is from St. Francis of Assisi. Doesn't matter whether I think he was great or not, but I love this quote. Whether it really was him or not, I don't know. And the quote is this, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled, as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is giving that we receive, for it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life.
amen. My question to you in this, does this sound like something the scriptures teach? Secondly, does this sound like something you want to live? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, far be it from us to think that we have to go through rituals and hoop jumping in order to gain entry into heaven. Jesus Christ, you've done it all on the cross. But as I read St. Francis' declaration, I know it, it sounds a lot like your Sermon on the Mount. It sounds an awful lot like the book of Colossians that I read this morning and how it describes what we are to be as followers of Christ, the, the ethics, the morality, the, the Christ in us, the hope of glory flowing out of us. So as we go to your word this morning, we ask the question, is this who we are? Uh, this is a secular written thing, well not really secular, but somebody who claimed to be a Christian. But we know that in Colossians and Galatians and Philippians 4 especially, uh, there is lots of calls to be exactly this kind of follower of Christ. And I know God that our stress behavior, the things that we do, the way we behave, the way we cope often isn't in this camp. Uh, it is something we've picked up without you, uh, without a relationship with you. Even if we came to Christ when we were three years old, we often develop habits and patterns to cope with life without you. And God, we want to learn today by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, the hope of glory inside of us, the hope that Jesus, who's being kept in heaven for us, that we, God, would feel your presence. We would be transformed, we would be changed, our, our souls would be satisfied, our, our souls would be saved. So, oh God, speak powerfully to us through your word this morning. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. A couple of Sundays ago I shared with you how 99% of us, when we get into stress, now, stress can come in all sorts of flavors, and, all, and, and a lot of us deal with different stresses differently. Some of us are uh, really upset easily about certain things, and, and usually if you've done any kind of counseling at all, or any kind of training that way, there are triggers that we all have. And those triggers, and it could be somebody that reminds us of our father who is abusive, or somebody that reminds us of a teacher, or something, a situation that reminds me, for example, of a plane crash, I can get stressed because it was so stressful. And as we understand when our stress happens, we all have a stress behavior. And we as a church use a tool called Grip Berkman, and I shared this a few weeks ago. And in the Grip Berkman, by all the questions it asked, it actually reveals the kind of stress behavior that I personally exhibit. Now, what we've done as a staff, we've actually made that available, a lot of that stuff to a lot of the other staff. So if they see us in that behavior, they know we're stressed. And I'm gonna just say one of the staff, when he is stressed, so I've eliminated who, a lot of what could be, but this one staff person, when he's stressed, he actually works harder. When I'm stressed, I actually become, when I'm really stressed, I actually give up. I just stand there and stare at the walls. I sit there and stare at the walls. That's my stress response. It's not my normal behavior. 
I'm a hardworking, go-getter, make-it-happen kind of guy. But when I get really stressed, I just want, I get quiet, and I don't want to do anything, and I need time to reflect, and I need time to work through it. But this other staff person, he just works harder. So it's a horrible thing for a boss like me to think and watch a person like that because they're working so hard, I'm going, oh, they're happy because that's not my experience. But I say all this to say that we all have stress responses. And I can tell you, and if you ever have heard me talk, I don't like special things in the season, uh, whether it's Thanksgiving, Remembrance Day. Uh, I struggle with all that stuff because uh, I have to come up with new exciting stuff every year. And this series that we're going through, Hope Being This Morning and Love and Joy and Peace, I don't like them because I always have to come up with something new. But as I've been a little bit in my stress behavior, as I've been experiencing some of this stuff in our society, in our city, in the world, I, I honestly am so excited to go into the Advent season. I, I want us all to kind of go back to that time whether you laid under the Christmas tree or not. And I want you to go back to that time when, when in your usual behavior, Jesus was just driving you. That hope that Jesus is, that hope that Jesus was, I, I want that just to stir your heart today. So we're gonna go through kind of four perspectives from 1 Peter chapter one, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're gonna go through four perspectives of Jesus as our hope. And the first point that we're gonna look at starting in verse three is that Jesus is our, and this is really important to be hanging on to through this whole message, Jesus is our living hope. As I prayed, as I said, we don't have somebody who died and we're told, well, one day it's, he's gonna be raised, one day he's gonna return or there's gonna be this, this reincarnation, whatever, reincarnation, whatever. We actually have a risen Savior. First Peter chapter one, verse three says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his, the Father's great mercy, he has given us, do you, you want to hear this really close? He has given us new birth. Now, if you're a little frustrated with your stress responses, I am. I don't like the way I behave. I don't like it when my sin comes up specifically and, and I get selfish or greedy. Uh, in fact, I was reading Book of Colossians this morning, and I, I started off by thinking, well, the Bible, because it starts off in chapter one, and it starts talking about the freedom we have in Christ. And I go, well, there's nothing wrong with owning stuff, I thought to myself. There's a story behind that, and you can ask me that later. I had to return something recently, and I'll just put it that way, because out of my greed, I bought something I shouldn't have. And I eventually returned it, got my money back. And I was thinking, oh, well, it's okay to be greedy, but as I'm reading in Colossians, and you will find that whenever the scriptures call something out, it's, it's usually, it, well, I can honestly say it's never a political thing. In fact, Jesus never, ever spoke to the politicians. He only spoke to the religious. And he called out the religious, and he usually called them out on morality. 
And so Colossians goes through the freedom we have in Christ, and then he goes through this moral kind of written stuff, and he says, by the way, the word is don't be greedy. And I read that, okay, I did the right thing yesterday. I love how the scriptures moved me from my stress response, my shutdown response, and it moves me by the power of the Holy Spirit into me by that new birth. It moves me into who I am becoming instead of who I have been. So he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. There it is. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Our hope, friends, is not time dated. It doesn't get stale, our hope in Jesus. <coughs> it is not past tense. It's not something that we hope happens. Jesus Christ is our hope. Reading this text straight up, we are new. We're being transformed and we have a living hope in the resurrected Jesus. I remember watching the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Probably everybody's seen it, and you may or may not remember it, but it's uh, the scene I'm thinking about is the scene where Aslan has actually been killed by the Wicked Witch. And I can tell you that the three children, Peter, Susan, and Edmund, and Lucy, they're they're really, they, they have no more hope. They have, I mean, they were excited. They were hopeful that Aslan was gonna come and when he came, it seemed to fill them up with so much joy and, and now he's laying on that stone tablet and he's dead. And I can remember the scene where they show up the next morning and the table that he laid on was cracked in two and they were wondering, where's his body? What's going on? And I remember watching that going, why do I have to watch a movie like that to, to kind of stir up my heart towards the resurrected Jesus? You want to know why? We get so used to things. We start to forget the wonder the first time it clicked in our mind that Jesus Christ hung on a cross for yours and my sin and on the third day he was born, raised again, literally born again. And we have been promised that same thing, that we have this new birth, this new hope, this transformation, this, this salvation of our souls. Let's marvel this Advent at Jesus' resurrection, at our new birth, at this hope that is kept in heaven, and we're gonna get into that. We are born again and becoming more like Jesus. We have hope, all is not lost, even though in this season, it may seem like all is lost. The next words in the text, starting in verse four B, they really kinda nail it or, or put steroids into this whole concept that Jesus is our hope. Because our hope, friends, is shielded and sure. First Peter chapter four, verse B goes on to say, this inheritance, he just talked about this inheritance you have, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Who through faith, this is speaking to you and me, who through faith are, really carefully listen, shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. 
So many movies I watch today, they, they have a storyline of some incredible, great, honest, beautiful treasure that somehow gets stolen or robbed and used for evil. And this text so clearly says to us, this hope, this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus is being kept for you in heaven. Nobody can rob it, nobody can steal it, it can't perish or destroy, it is being kept. Jesus is being kept for you in heaven. And in the last days, he will be revealed. And that hope, like sitting under the tree and then opening up the present, we know he's risen again. We know 500 people saw it. We know he ascended and people saw that. We know this Jesus is being kept in heaven and our hope in him will not disappoint. When I was two, my dad passed away. And even though you probably don't have a lot of memories of that age, I don't have specific memories, but I, I know that the memories I do have when I was seven or eight years old, I had a deep sorrow and a loss. I was very close to my dad. He and I were buddies. I remember my grandmother talking about observing him and I. I was very close to my dad. And there was this emptiness and this heartache that was in me. When my dad died, when I was two, and this is way back in the 60s, and you didn't get settlements like you do today, but uh, the accident, car accident my dad was in, it wasn't, he was a passenger, and, and there was a little bit of a settlement given. Now you might think 1963, and I was to inherit it at 18 in 1979, and you'd think, oh, it must have grown like man by you know, the inflation rate in the 70s, man, it must have, you know, it must have really grown. And, and I can tell you, I, I don't know why, mom never gave me the statement, so I had no idea what it was going to be. But I can tell you that when I was 18, and they finally sent me the check, the check was within $3 of what was given in 1963. I was disappointed. I miss my dad terribly. And there was a little bit of hope that at least some justice or some payment or, or something would be there, but I, I, I really was disappointed. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it was that, and we'll just say the word government without running them down. And honestly, I was so disappointed, but I want you to understand this. Even in my deepest pain and the deepest disappointment, when I came to Jesus, Jesus has given me, he has given us new lives and his kingdom keeps growing and, and he is up there in heaven and he's going to be revealed in the clouds when the trumpet blows. And in fact, when the scripture that we've just read says that your faith shields you, I want you to understand that Jesus described even a little wee mustard seed faith. And I want you to understand why that's significant because our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in Jesus. And Jesus is worthy and he did what he said he would come to do. And he died on the cross. He was a perfect human being living here on earth, fully God, fully man. And he took yours and I's sin. And on the third day, he rose again, proving that he came to do what he came to do. And our inheritance is based on who God is. My faith is in him and not wondering if my inheritance will shrink. Now, almost as if Peter's thinking, well, okay, I've just told the people, writing to them, I've just told the people 
that they're going to be shielded. They're going to be protected. And he knows as he's writing that they are going through suffering. And I have heard recently that, and and I've kind of watched on Facebook, not even talking about locally, I've watched how Christians have reacted to the present crisis. And I've seen people in their stress responses, and, and understand me, I get it, when your business is going under, when you don't know if you can pay your mortgage, you don't know where you're gonna live, you don't know if there's gonna be oil sold tomorrow, whatever it is, or even some of our freedoms taken away, I get and understand that. But we as a North American church, it's been so long since we've had suffering that we have no theology of suffering. I want you to hear what the next verse says. Because the next verse very clearly says that refiner fires, fires may feel awful, but going through these fires, these refining fires, it has value for us. So almost like Peter is understanding that they're gonna wonder, I've just said, they're gonna be kept safe. They're gonna have faith. They're gonna be okay. And he writes this in verse six. In all this, you greatly rejoice. How many are rejoicing these days? I'm not rejoicing a lot. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Listen to verse seven. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, when this hope kept in heaven for us is revealed. In other words, what God is saying to us in this text, the most important thing to your soul, to your being, to who you are, is your faith. And every once in a while, trials will come along and things will be stripped away that you've put your faith and hope in. And when those things are stripped away, it's gonna refine, it's going to purify, it's gonna let your faith come bubbling to the surface. And I wanna tell you, I think we would rather have that than our faith completely disappear. Even that mustard, maybe your faith is so small and you might say, you mean I gotta go through suffering? Like I said, we have a bad theology of suffering in North America because it's been so good. I am convinced prosperity gospel has mostly come about in, since the Second World War. We have every generation has had more money than the previous generation. I just saw a, a little chart of gross domestic product uh, of countries and Canada was in the top 10. We are so wealthy in Canada and the U.S., and when we go through hardship, when, when oil prices drop, when the economy goes into the tank in 2014, when, when people are losing businesses, when I am wondering if I'm gonna get paid, then suddenly there's nothing left. And it's like God on once in a while, every so often, he, he strips everything away from us down to nothing. And we start looking around and we go, what's left? And I hope what you find there is your faith. We honestly, we have this problem of redirecting our faith in Jesus. We build bigger barns, we build bigger houses, and then when the stuff gets stripped away, when the 
retirement fund is gone or it's being threatened. And I looked at my retirement fund the other day and I thought, ooh, that hasn't even hardly grown at all. And I went, stop that, stop that. When stuff gets stripped away, we are left with this faith in Jesus. And I want to remind us all, it is our core hope. You may or may not be aware that the richer Canada gets, the more suicides there are. Did you know that? The more knowledge we have about mental well-being, the more money that we have, the more suicide rises up. I've met all kinds of people in my travels. I've been shocked at the emptiness of some people. People that I have honored and admired from afar. I mean, it might be because of the car they drive, because there's certain cars, you know, you know I like Volkswagens. And somebody dared run down Volkswagens that it was a, a horrible socialist dream by Hitler, and it was, and uh, that I should never own a Volkswagen because the people that were put into slavery to build them and on and on the rhetoric went and I, I was so offended by it because I like Volkswagens. But if my hope is in my Volkswagen, if my hope is in my house which I own with my daughter and her son, and her, her son, no, her husband, if my hope is in that, <laughs> I'm to be pitied more than anyone. And again, I've been shocked at the emptiness of some people. As a pastor in my travels, I've been able to get to know all sorts of people. I've, I've been able to, I, I sat down and had a 15 top minute talk once with Jimmy Patterson. I got, he came to Looseland and I was in a hall and we sat at the same, so I got to talk and ask him a few things. And I'm not saying he was empty because he, he definitely showed behind the scenes that he's got some faith in Jesus. Wikipedia has a long list of presidents of countries and top officials. And I, I just, I thought, I wonder, I wonder how many people that have risen to the pinnacle of success in money, wealth, and position have committed suicide. You can actually find that online. Money and fame are not going to fix you. Bigger barns is not going to give you hope. Hope that we have, this faith that we have, is in Jesus. And letting him help you get help for your soul is what we need to do. Fourth and final point. Listen to how the text explains how this hope sustains us. First Peter chapter one verse eight says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled, listen to this, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Sometimes the scriptures describes it as a peace that passeth all understanding. Verse nine, for you are receiving the end result. Did you hear this? For you are receiving your end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our faith in him 
who can be trusted, who's being kept in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't destroy. Our faith in Jesus Christ, who is all-powerful, will fill you with joy that can't be explained. It's, it's a joy, it's a soul joy, it's a deep down inside you joy. Being born again by our living faith, by Jesus Christ, has a huge impact on us. And I have testified to you that I have repeatedly experienced soul joy and healing even in my 59 years old age. I know what this faith is. I know what this hope is. And I started thinking this morning, I sure hope when I tell people what God's doing in my life or how God's spoken to me, I hope people don't think, oh yeah, he's that pedestal pastor up there. Oh, he's just blowing smoke, oh camp, I want to tell you that God can do all these things for you in greater numbers. He can speak to you, he can lead you, he can heal. I, I, we have so many people that have gone through soul care, so many people that have gone through church renewal now, and they are stirring up in themselves, their, their souls, this, their new nature, their new belief, their, their being born again is just growing and growing. We partner with a ministry in town called Rising Above, are you aware that rising above success rate for helping addicts recover is 10 to 20 times more than Alberta? Now, Alberta set the, the government recovery thing. They've set the bar really low. I, I should have looked up the stat, but I know it's below 1% success rate. The Alberta government's programs are so low that they have moved into what they call harm reduction. You know what they're saying? They're saying basically when people get to that point, there's no coming out. And we're just gonna, you know, I, I keep reading about these, these homes where they put homeless people in and they give them a little bit of alcohol and some drugs every day. They just kind of reduce it so they can live a, a good, okay life. Rising above has 10 to 20 times the success rate. I mean, I, I, I asked Mal at one time and I believe he said 20, 30% and I forget. I want to ask you, what do you think the difference is? Is Mel that smart? Uh, Mel is a smart man, don't get me wrong. It's the Jesus factor. And when I was in Saskatchewan, I was involved with, um, uh, now I forget the name of it. It was another recovery program. And uh, it had about the same success rate. Some of the beauty in it is they, they actually work with people for a year or two but it's the Jesus factor. Where's the Jesus factor with you? I've seen broken people way worse than you and me get whole again. I've experienced this living hope. I've been getting healing. <coughs> if, if you didn't know, and here's something, I don't like to even admit this one, but any of the elders and staff know this about me. I have this one, now you heard about my claustrophobia. This is even a, bigger confession here, I have this bigger problem. If I feel falsely accused, I go to DEFCOM 10. I get so defensive, I get so argumentative. If I feel, so, and, and I, I have been able to work through a lot of that pain, why I'm there, why my soul hurts that way, because I did get falsely accused a number of times and I wasn't able to defend myself, and I have just let that bug me and wound my soul, and God has been healing me on that. Just Friday, I was in a situation with a bunch of people, 
And it was a situation that as I'm watching from the outside, looking at myself react, I actually was shocked how I actually reacted without defense. And it was definitely a trigger point that I would have said, you are falsely accusing me. And what I did instead is I said, let me know more. I want to hear your person. And I sat there going, what in the world happened to me? You see, I have this hope in Jesus who's kept in heaven for me. And even to this day, my soul's salvation is ongoing. My soul is saved. It's going to be saved. It is going to be perfect. It is, it's a beautiful thing theologically in Jesus. Michael Card, anybody? Now, you have to be really old to have listened to Michael Card. Anybody listen to Michael Card? Oh, one. Oh, Arnie, thank you. Got one person. Oh, there's another one. A few more ticking around there. He wrote a song years ago, and the song is titled, It's Amazing the Freedom We Find by the Things We Leave Behind. And the words in the song say, there sits Simon so foolishly wise, proudly he's tending his nets. Then Jesus calls and the boats drift away, and all that he owns he forgets. But more than the nets he abandoned that day, he found that his pride was soon drifting away. And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things we leave behind. Matthew was mindful of taking the tax and pressing the people to pay. And hearing the call, he responded in faith and followed the light and the way. Leaving the people so puzzled, he found, the greed in his heart was no longer around, and it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. Every heart needs to be set free from possessions that hold it so tight, because freedom's not found in the things that we own. It's the power to do what is right with Jesus. Our only possession and giving becomes our delight, and we can't imagine the freedom we find by the things we leave behind. Oh, and it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. So in conclusion, Jesus is our living hope. We're talking about a relationship, a, a, a savior that we can talk to a savior that speaks to us by his Holy Spirit who is inside of us and is described as a counselor and the one who gives us power, the one who heals our soul wounds. And secondly, our hope is in Jesus and this hope transcends poverty, betrayal, and even death, even soul wounds of feeling falsely accused. And thirdly, maybe your rug's being pulled out from under you and this rug being pulled out from under, in other words, all the things we put our hope and faith in, it reveals where our true hope is. In other words, my prayer is, and I think what Peter is describing to us is that we need to have a faith in Jesus. And fourthly and finally, in relationship to Jesus, we receive living hope. This hope will sustain us. In closing, I want to finish with one final verse in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Listen carefully. Therefore, whenever you hear therefore, you know it's kind of following everything in Romans up to this point. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, did you hear that? 
we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. If you thought First Peter was a one-off, it isn't. And we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts, into our souls through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, I'm so excited about Advent this year. And it's likely because my soul needs it so bad right now. I need I need that refiner's fire. I don't like it. It's painful. I don't like having my heart revealed for what I really put hope in. And I just pray, Jesus, that each and every one that can hear this, whether online or here in the church, God, would you, would you just stir up in us this faith that we need? It might be just a little mustard seed. And many of us have had so many things stripped away from us lately our freedom to do this or that, our our bank accounts, our jobs, some of the stuff we've had. I have seen more toys for sale on Facebook than I've seen in my whole 13 years living here in Grand Prairie, and sleds and trailers and trucks. And I know, God, that people's hope is disintegrating and it's been disappointing. Oh, Jesus, this Christmas season, may we anchor our soul in you, Jesus Christ. And oh God, just going through soul care with so many people in our church that we're gonna have another soul care coming up, I have seen so many people set free. And they have a joy on the inside and they have a peace that passeth understanding that that is beyond all the stuff they have. And it's amazing the freedom we find. It's amazing the joy that we get. It's amazing the hope that overwhelms by the stuff we leave behind. And sometimes we don't know the stuff we need to let go, but things happen in our lives and we have to let go of it. And so Jesus, do and continue to do this work in our souls. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Please stand with me. Now, after I read the benediction, there is uh, opportunity for prayer here at the altar. And uh, maybe you're, you're, you're going, out. Oh, this resonates with me, and I'm really struggling because I've had so much hurt. I am in my stress behavior, and I just need prayer. God wants to minister to your soul today. Whether you come here at the altar or you go home, just take some time with God and say, give me a glimpse of that hope in heaven that's kept for me. Speak to me, minister to me, touch my soul, the salvation I need. And I wanted to also mention to you, because of our drop in attendance in the last number of weeks, well, it's been three or four weeks, we're gonna go back to one service next Sunday. And it'll be at 10 a.m. And, uh, and a lot of it just logistically, if we have so few people, it's hard to run Sunday school and things like that. So we'll be going back to one service next Sunday, 10 a.m. And you have to know that I do not like these kind of changes 
and it was tough and wrestling through, and every week I have a new decision to make with the elders and with the staff. It's so frustrating. So next week, 10 a.m., uh, please come out. And right now, and this sounds like the government eek, for the next four weeks. No, we're just for December, and then we'll revisit that, and we'll see what happens when things clean up. So just know that, that that's happening. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, and it always gives me so much courage when I read this. May God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the part that just gives me goosebumps. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen? Amen. Fellowship in peace.